0: Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, of Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. I'm Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops. Uh, Glenn, what are you looking for in game three?
1: Uh, to, to see if the Hawks can get back to the rim. That's the number one thing I'm looking for. How about you?
0: Uh, that's certainly one of them. I think uh, yeah. I'm intrigued to see what the Knicks do after putting Derek Rose in to start the second half. If they stick with that or if they go back to Alfred Payton, I think that's a interesting situation to monitor.
1: Yeah. That, that's the thing for me is the Hawks generated, I think a lot of, you know, solid um, perimeter shots with the Knicks packing the paint and really prioritizing, keeping the Hawks lob threats off the rim. Um, when I went back and, and kind of rewatched, um, the game, those perimeter looks weren't quite as good as I think maybe people think uh, from kind of the, the first viewing um, they did miss a like a handful of really good looks, but you know um, collectively they weren't the quality that I would have thought after um, my first viewing first live viewing going back and watching again they, that was a tougher uh, kind of set of shots than I anticipated. So, you know, I Nate being new to Hawks fans, and Nate being new to the team that I, first of all, root for, and the second of all, write about, I I don't really know what to expect from him. You know, specifically in terms of, will they just keep trying to run all the things that they ran so successfully down the stretch of the season? But obviously, they had a ton of success there. Um, or will they get a little more creative, open things up? Will we see something new? Uh, you know. That's uh, kind of what I have an eye on, but to me, the priority is getting back the generated points at the rim, which is really the best way to create your best three-point shots. Is to get the ball into the heart of the defense, make the defense react to that, and and create those kick-out passes to uh, open shooters on you know catch a shoot opportunity. So you know, can the Hawks get the ball back into the middle, you know, and, and cause the next defense to really have to react there? need to create good good shots at the rim or even better shots from the perimeter than they did in game 2. That's what it makes it to see and you know my own kind of view is like from a schematic and XSO's perspective, do we see new stuff or do they just run the same stuff better? So they, you know, in game 1 it felt like they were getting into a lot of their actions earlier in the shot clock and that worked well for them. The Knicks did a great job of stymieing those opportunities, so it, it could be you know, uh, things that feel like adjustments around the margins, but that make a really, really big difference, you know. So I, I'm anxious to see what happens, and I'm looking forward to a nice three-day weekend with two games, you know, in between having to, uh, you know, when I quit work on Friday and go back to work on Tuesday, get to get to watch two of these.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the lack of shots at the rim. I. You know, my main takeaway from the first two games just – right off the bat is that, you know, if you go back a year, year and a half and you say, okay, when, when, you know, first of all, the Hawks make it to the playoffs. And second of all, when the Hawks get to the playoffs, Trey Young is going to kind of look like a star. Like I think everybody would have been happy with that outcome. But, you know, I think if there's one thing that I didn't really like about his game too, is that, he really had the the floater game going. I feel like he's kind of had that in, in both games. I just think that – I think there are times when sort of the whole thing is there for him, like when he gets to the floater area, he could take the floater and make it. I think there are times – I thought I saw a few where he could have just as easily turned it into an oop. For, for Clint Capella, and they're not necessarily easy oops, but I think that he has to just do that just to get Capella engaged. I don't think we saw the best version of Capella in game two, and it's not like uh, – it's not necessarily like it was a conscious thing, but, you know, it's hard to roll to the rim 40 times in a game if you touch it twice and to do it with the same impact, and then to go down and deal with Taj Gibson jamming into your hip and your thighs and everything else. I think they need Capella a little bit more engaged. He was great on defense. like He was he was getting a lot of contests at the rim. I just think he needs a little bit more oomph in terms of rebounding. Uh, I, th- I, th- I thought some of his roles got a little bit soft in the, in the second half until sort of at, after he scored in the fourth quarter, then they kind of pick back up again. But I I think they need the best version of him. I think they have to get him engaged early. Because um, I honestly think that's one of their advantages. I, as much as I love what Taj Gibson and, and Julius Randle have done in this series, I think in terms of sort of a two-way impact, I think Capella could really be the best player out of that bunch. Uh, I, I just think that there's more there. And I, I think Trey needs to be the player to unlock it.
1: Yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, there's no doubt that in single high middle pick and roll, the Knicks were pulling the weak side lowest defender all the way to this front of the restricted area before Capella could even get toward the rim. Now what they were doing in game one more so than game two is they were running Spain actually where Capella can leverage that back screen on his guy, on his defender And um, I don't have a kind of a theory as to why we saw them go away from the Spain action in game two. Um, You know, so that that's something to keep an eye on because that really does help Capella. I I know more times than not, it creates a shot for the three point shooter lifting after that back screen, but it's a great way just to get, even if Capella doesn't get the ball (laughs) in the Spain action, it gets some, gets Taj out of his, off of his hip, you know, um, for a few seconds and gives him a chance to kind of move and use I mean Clint you know on offense his running and jumping is really apart from his screening is really what he has to work with for example that's the major difference between him and like a Taj Gibson you know, Taj doesn't give you yeah, that absolutely stuff, right and so I think I think what your point kind of elicits for me is the reality that you know, Clint got kind of locked up a little bit and didn't have, whether it was him getting tired of getting assaulted, <laughs> you know, throughout the whole game or just not having any space to work with. Um, can the coaching staff kind of find a way to kind of get him, you know, some more space um, to, to get him going there. I think that's critical, you know. Um, and I think Trey, to your point, I think maybe being a little more intentional about creating when it's a, maybe even on 50, 50 plays, you know, may choose the lob there, especially right. early just to get your, your, your kind of big man engaged there. That, that seems right. And I think that's something to keep an eye on the first few minutes of game three.
0: And, you know, I don't think I said it uh, sort of implied, but the Knicks are making the point of trying to keep Capella out. Like that's the thing that they're trying to take away most. Um, and so it, you know, the openings are few. It's not like it's just there on every play, but, you know, I think Trey has to try for the small cracks when they are there.
1: Yeah, and then on top of that, if you're going to, like, get Taj in foul trouble, that's how you're going to do it, is by getting your big guys, you know, active at the rim and, and shot threats and scoring threats and all that sort of stuff. Noel is um, a a useful defender, but he is a real zero on offense. I mean, he just stays in the dunker spot on the baseline. He doesn't have any of the nuance to his game that Taj has to help create space for rose when he's getting to the rim and things like that so anything you can do to kind of swing tibbs away from some taj minutes and back towards noel they're all just also a less physical player generally speaking you know i mean
0: taj gibson is useful because they they put him at the top of the key 25 feet from the rim and they get spacing out of it because he's going to do a dribble handoff and just take somebody out of the play so it's just four on four for everybody else and it's not like you can sag off him because you have to play that action
1: For sure. Yeah. So I, I think those are the things to kind of keep an eye on is, is, um, you know, can they create those lob opportunities? Will Trey, you know, see the value of those 50-50 plays of giving the ball up, you know, on the lob, giving the ball up, so to speak, you know, um, he has great finishers, you know, in both Capella and JC and stuff. And can they do anything to kind of throw a a proverbial punch at Todd, just letting him be kind of on offense from a, Contact and physicality perspective, that the Hawks aren't really kind of built that way. You know, really, I don't think. Um, But that they're going to have to find, I think, to be successful in the series, they're going to have to find some of that, you know, somewhere. You know, and I'm not sure where it comes from, unless you know, is Solo a little bit of that? I mean, he's not been in the rotation, and I don't think that there's an obvious case to put him on the floor. Apart from that, but. Um, I think they're going to have to kind of kind of find a way to get um, a little bit of their own f- version of physicality presented, however that might look, because that's not you know they're a, I want to say they're a finesse team, but they're you know, running and jumping and cutting and you know speed and even though they play a slower play, pace, they'll they find their opportunities to kind of you know maximize space as opposed to kind of you know, the Knicks would play a whole game in a in a you know phone booth i think if they could, if they could. you know so it's one of the you know major contrasts here but the hawks have got to find some got to find a way to find some of that i think
0: yeah and for the foul trouble that they incur when they're making plays on the ball i don't think the hawks have fully realized that in playoff basketball um you know you can do whatever sort of sumo wrestling you want to do off the ball and they're going to let you do that
1: right <laughs> right and and, they, and again, if, the Hawks are they. They can go ten deep. We we can disagree about how Nate goes ten deep. And I'll, you know, but um, the their their brand of basketball um is is not that physicality, and the Knicks might be the most physical team in the league. That's certainly the brand that Tibbs brings to all of the, the teams he's coached. He never got there with the Wolves. I don't think Carlinson Towns is gonna kind of ever embraced that, you know, kind of, kind of basketball and such. So that was a weird fit and so, stuff, but th- that's just what you're getting. And it's one of the starker contrasts here between two teams that are, you know, at, from a macro view, I think pretty easily matched.
0: Yeah. Uh, I know that one of the things that I saw a lot of was that, uh, you know, everybody was sort of upset with the, late resubstitution of Trey and I get that but you know the things that made Nate such a good choice for the regular season are the things everybody wants to sort of pick him apart for now I mean I think what what you're getting with him is you're getting somebody who's sort of calm and consistent and likes to have a fixed thing. He's, he's not a knee jerk coach and, and, you know, you want a certain level of adapt adaptability, but you know, one of the things that Nate brought was sort of a deliberation in how he approach things. And that was great for the Hawks. Like that literally turned their season around. They wouldn't be in this space without that. Um, But if he was deliberate then, he's still going to be deliberate now. He had sort of a plan for how he wanted to do things, and he kind of stuck to it in that second half. Um, I know people want to fault him for that. It's just this is who he is. Uh, At the same time, you know, he's got a terrible record in the first round of the playoffs, but uh, Hawks might not be here in the first round of the playoffs if he hadn't done that, so. I don't know. I mean, is there somebody else that can kind of twist his arm, persuade him to think differently? Um, And of course, situations may be different for game three and game four, but uh, honestly, if I had to gripe, it wasn't so much with the late resubstitution. I just still think that in a world where John Collins isn't in foul trouble, you want to use him in some capacity more with the bench units than he's currently being used. And the other thing about, you know, trey and company coming back late in the fourth i mean if you kind of look at what took place i don't think he was all that wrong to go with the long rest because number one it was the starters who really fritted away a lot of the lead before they sat and so that kind of convinced nate hey you know maybe they need a rest um you know while the bench continued to let up the points it was really the starters that that first let go of the rope so that kind of you know I think that egged Nate into thinking they needed a longer rest. And then when he did bring them back after the long rest, they came back and in the first two minutes, they ate up a lot of that lead. They just didn't do it after that. So I do think you could use Trey a little bit more. Um, but I don't know. I think we're kind of split hairs there. I'm I'm more intrigued in what combinations he uses as opposed to you know how many minutes he wants it for each player. I I didn't really care that much about whether people set one or two extra minutes in the fourth or not. I, I don't know. I couldn't, I I saw it and I noticed it and it's like, Hmm, it seems a little bit long for Trey, but I don't know. I'm not that upset by it. What'd you think?
1: I mean, I, I thought he Trey was brought back maybe two minutes later than I would have preferred. Um, you know, that, that apart from the final two minutes, where it seemed like the momentum at least was slipping away uh, and the Hawks weren't generating things in office. I think it's fair to say that their office was kind of bogged down before Trey went to the bench and with, with Bogdanovich and others. So that that's kind of fair. Um, but I, I just think that when you have an opportunity to kind of go up two zero, that's, I say that, but it's kind of Phil, even as at least my mouth feels so like, it's kind of a dumb thing. You want to win every playoff game, every playoff game is important, <laughs> you know? Um, but the, you know, get your best offensive player back out there when you're continuing to struggle to kind of produce offensively. You know, I, I, I recorded early with, with Brad and mentioned to him that it wasn't so much um, the, the Trey came back when he did. And, and, and like I mentioned to Brad, I, The weird thing to me is that when Nate reacted during that point in the game, he sent Bogdanovich to the table to check in by himself. (laughs) And and then ended up not happening because they got to a point where he had to call a timeout to kind of, you know, make the changes and stuff. I was like, that was strange to me. Um, But, but to your point, I think there's an opportunity to kind of mix up who's playing with that second unit. Um, I, you know, this has been conversed about, you know, amongst the group of us that kind of tended to, chat and slack and all that sort of stuff in games but i thought especially with the game flowing in two there's an opportunity to get more more collins you know kind of playing with the second unit and uh leveraging him and and i think there's some opportunity for hunter as well to kind of do a little bit more uh own more possessions and things like that so that i'm kind of with you in terms of first of all game two is over and kind of done with and we can kind of um, prept about whether Trey's going to be limited to 35 minutes a game, the whole series, or if he's going to um, like his normal, see that go up just the deeper the series. Get. I mean, first of all, what Nate did in game two is not super weird for a game two. Most coaches do tighten the rotation as the series goes. And so I'm really watching that more so than what eventually happened in game two, even though I would have liked to see it done a little differently if I'm being honest about it. Um, but, I think mixing it up and you know letting Hunter find some rhythm on the second unit where it 's easier just to just kind of let him you know deploy his face up game, getting Lou and j c together um, to give Lou something to kind of work with as a screener and a guy that can get to the rim and things like that i 'm with you. I think that that 's where the lowest hanging fruit is to try to kind of create more offensive continuity um, across the game is in kind of mixing and matching there um where he's gone in a lot of ways kind of straight first unit and then full second unit and kind of almost done you know a first string second string (laughs) kind of approach that's the yeah
0: Yeah, i I think that's
1: what i agree with you that's where the opportunity probably is
0: yeah I, i that's that's when i'm eager to see if that changes or stays the same agreed um i don't know what else you want to talk about anything else you think Rose and Taj
1: start game three?
0: I, I don't think Taj will start. Like I, he, I think he maybe pl- he might play more minutes than um, than Noel, but I, I don't think that he'll start. But I, I'm I'm interested about the Rose one. What do you think about in terms of okay? You know, in theory, I think you know the Knicks are playing Peyton for defense at the start of games, right? I think that sort of implicitly suggests that they certainly like him as a defender more than Rose. Are the, are the Hawks doing what they need to, to put Rose in actions, whether it's to exploit his defense more than say some other players like Barrett who are better defenders or at the very least just to kind of wear him down.
1: You know, probably not enough um, there to, I mean, the old school, mentality is when the guy's going on offense one thing you can do is make him work really hard and exert himself on defense you know and there's that's probably not what it was the way we thought about that in the 80s as we do right right now you know but it's still like it's not a total fallacy either you know so it, what's interesting to me is if if you can find it on twitter there was a play that was kind of generating some conversation on twitter where what kongu was on and nate was point it seemed like nate was pointing to conga to go set the screen and then Lou to him away and called snell up and yep. snell brought and Rose snell with was him. being
0: guarded by rose yeah
1: exactly so i wonder if a part of nate's thinking is that lou might as a veteran who's played you know a good number of playoff games and, and has as much experience as you could want and a creator and point guard if he's what nate can rely on to kind of do a little bit more of that than what is natural for Trey. Trey wants to more often get a big switch on to him if he can, you know, Trey is looking um, kind of for an opportunity to kind of create contact and free throws or just kind of have a guy he can get right by where Lou might have a little bit more um, just from his experience to be a little bit more savvy about, I want D Rose, you know, brought into this play. And that could be a part of like when, when Nate is writing Lou, that could be a part of it that Lou's just, uh, more, better equipped to kind of to kind of poke at that at, at that opportunity.
0: Yeah, and if you if you if you go and find that play, it was a very flat set. It was basically Lua up high, and then everybody else on the baseline. Right. And it, that very much looked like a a situation where they just wanted to have one action up top with just as little help as possible to try to isolate the one match they wanted. So yeah, I, I do think that when you look at that play, it sort of indicates that they wanted Lou to go at Rose in that instance and a Kong <laughs> I mean, I get it. They're all standing on the baseline. So when Nate points, he's like, go, you know, I mean, they're, they're literally all in the, in the line of sight of where he was pointing because it yeah. was such a flat set. Yeah. It was basically four <laughs> flat and then yeah, Lou, exactly. called, Lou called his screener up. So there yeah. you go. And they didn't know which screener it was going to be. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much I have my eye on for game three, you know, like we talked on early, you know, earlier on, can the Hawks get you know their shot hits at the rim? Kind of, they find a way to generate that. Um, you know, uh, for, and for me, I mean, there's the Hawks. There, I have some question about the Hawks' defense that I want to see. You know, the the Knicks went to that um, basically Randall Rose pick and roll at the left three point break, like over and over and over, and and that's super simple. That's basic, uh, almost kindergarten stuff. But the Hawks just never really. Presented any resistance, they they were they were worried about and focused on not getting an unfavorable switch when, you know against that set um, and, and such. But they weren't really focused on trying to kind of push that out a little further to make the ball handler give ground and back up a little bit and to kind of take a little bit of that space away. And so, what, well, that's maybe the thing I'm watching for most at the beginning of the game is can they be more stout at the point of attack defensively and just create more resistance and and force the Knicks to um, kind of really have to work through the action that they're trying to get as opposed to just kind of being ready to react i thought as the game game to progress they became just almost completely reactionary to what the things that the Knicks were running as opposed to kind of trying to get up there and say you want this no you're going to have to work pretty hard to get this as opposed to just being focused on you know, avoiding the switch, where they when they don't want that, and, and covering, um, kind of the backside of the play and all that. But in my mind, if they're going to set themselves up to win Game Three for whatever it might be going forward, their resistance at the point of attack defensively is going to have to um, get a lot better. And that's the thing I have my eye on for Game Three.
0: Is there a way to make that a switchable action with the right personnel? Can you can you guard? Rose and Randall, and players where you would would want to switch that. Can you do it like Hunter and Collins or something?
1: Well, the nice thing is that Hunter's your probably your best defender on Randall and Rose. You know, so if he's one of your two players, then you're you're going to be, I think, pretty solid almost, no matter how you come out of that. Uh, and my preference would be to have him on whoever has the ball. You know, coming out of the out of that screen. After the after the
0: screener, before when you after, say after, yeah, after okay. after, and and
1: it was I think every time it was Rose with the ball, Randall as the screener, and that clearing space for Rose to deliver the ball to Randall. Um, if that wasn't there, if they kind of covered up Randall, Rose just dribbled kind of at will to the middle of the paint, and you know, and, and which is where he wants to be. Um, and so it it partly depends on who that second you know kind of defender is. If Rose sees Collins, he might be a little bit more, um, kind of. Um, he might prefer to keep the ball and kind of attack Collins, you know, kind of one-on-one in space there. Um, So it it does come down to whoever that is. I think the Hawks, it looks to me like they want to avoid the switch if at all possible and keep the matchup that they started the possession with. Um, But, you know, it just kind of depends. if you get like Bogdanovich or Snell who are bigger, stronger wings into that action with Hunter, um, maybe you're going to be okay. Switch, you know, Playing it by ear and and switching if you need to switch and keeping it straight if you need to keep it straight. But um, you know if you got to avoid getting Lou in there, you got to avoid getting Trey in there. And that hasn't been a problem at all. They haven't. I mean, the Knicks
0: haven't haven't been able to pull them into anything. Um, I mean, there are enough players where you can hide Trey and, and Lou in this series
1: for sure. For sure. Yeah. And then you know I talked about with Brad that the Knicks just don't run pick and roll, and that's the easiest way to get guys like that in. Just like we talked about when when Lou got Rose pulled in you know, the Knicks just don't rely on that really um, uh, and such. So I, they're they're fine there. But for me, no, no matter who it is, it's more of an intentionality thing and it's more of a presence thing to um, kind of get up into the space that you know that they're trying to make use of and to say, no, you're not getting this space that easily or we're going to take 50% of the space away. You're going to have to work at a different angle or a little further from the spot you're trying to get at. That's what I'm looking for, you know. Um, and I thought amongst all the things that were talked about coming in game two, that was the thing that bothered me maybe the most. That really any attention. Um, that I'm looking for game three to see if they kind of come out and just are a lot stronger at the point of attack. Because even um, like when the JC fouls, part of that was point of attack defense not being strong enough, and the ball handler getting you know downhill right at JC. That happened with the Congu too. I don't think a Congu got a foul in that situation, but when a Congu looked bad. Is when a ball handler got downhill, kind of right at the rim, and the Congo had to kind of step away from Taj, present to the ball handler, and then Taj got a couple of easy scores. And it, it, he, Congo looked bad, but to me, the primary kind of failure on those plays was just the um, not good enough point protect defense.
0: Well, you know, if I'm Nate McMillan and I'm, I'm having, you know, my, uh, usual on-court conversations through the course of the game, I I would say that, you know, at least 65% of the words that I would use in conversing with the officials would either be moving or screen. Um, (laughs) Those would be the two words that I would use because they, you know, Taj Gibson and and Julius Randle are already good screeners. Like, it's not like they're not going to get a wide base and set a good screen to begin with. But, um, you know, they're... They're taking a step into the screen, they're leaning into it. Um, yeah, I think you could find some, there was one in the fourth quarter where Randall kind of put his shoulder in Bogdanovich's head, which uh, seems not only a little bit illegal, but just kind of uh, not particularly friendly. Um, and I, I think that kind of thing matters. It's, it's hard to fight over screens. Um, you know, you look, at, you look at somebody like Bogdanovich He's, he's tough and super strong, but uh, that, that's, that's a lot of, a lot of extra hits to deal with in a game. Uh, and, it, you know, if, if you go back and look at some of the replays, there was like one he got in the kidneys one he got in the head, you know, when he got in the hip and it's like those, those kind of hits add up. And, you know, I think it's, I think it's possible that he wears down over the course of the series if they don't clean it up.
1: I agree. And I, I don't want to point it out as being the full explanation, but he didn't shoot the ball well. And I don't, and I, I don't think that's unrelated from how physical they were with him, you know? Um, and I, to your point, that's going to continue, if not increase I, it, some of the um, things are letting them get away with just seem crazy to me, you know, <laughs> Even though Game Two was called a little tighter, uh, maybe right. a lot, maybe in some ways a lot tighter than Game, game One was a total free for all. They basically didn't call fouls until the fourth quarter <laughs> in Game One, right. and right. they were right. they were calling fouls, especially I think it was uh, Rodney Rodney Mott was calling like fouls on every third or fourth possession early in the game. I, I didn't think any of them were wrong. It I just so happened, yeah, but it, it's one it's
0: just all the on ball stuff, and then right. you know th- there were no calls for anybody on any screens and the Hawks are basically slipping their screen. So it's not like they're uh, making an even retaliation of it. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're going to have, they're,
1: it's definitely having an impact. And I, and I, I think it's easy to see the deeper the series goes, the that stuff has a kind of a, a cumulative impact, you know, you know, if you can't find a way to um, counter that with, with something that provides a deterrence to so much, you know, um, uh, physicality and such, but that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I, you know, as a coach, it's kind of hard. Like, do you um, focus on just trying to coach your team up and to be tougher and to be kind of equally physical, especially when, like we said, that's, that's not really what they're built for, you know, uh, and stuff. Um, but, or, you know, do, do you ride the officials and then, I worry sometimes does your team kind of get sucked into that whole us against the officials kind of mindset instead of focusing on the task at hand? That's it's a hard one, Um but I mean it doesn't up, you know, always
0: have to be yelling either. I mean there are moments in the game where a coach is going to be next to a referee and just talking where it would just be the only you know the two of them hearing it. You know, just say just just you yeah. know you 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 can hammer them with kindness and subtlety. Uh, but yeah, the the hawks, you know. They're not really built for that. I asked Tate today about the physicality of screen setting, and I, you know, I was just kind of more or less expecting the cliched, you know, well, yeah, we need to be a little bit tougher fighting over screens, or we're going to have to set, you know, some more physical screens. And yeah, I wasn't trying to, to bait him into his second find in a week, uh, yeah. but he did. He did say something like, you know, the league needs to look at some of them. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this kind of goes back to a thing we were talking about a few minutes ago, but if you're not built for the physicality, a thing you can do is if you can recognize that they're trying to set a ball screen, in a certain spot, you get to that spot first and you yep. take that space away and the Hawks are faster and quicker. They're almost across the board. And so that's something they can do is just be more proactive and kind of be more urgent, have some more urgency about the way that they're trying to occupy and take space away from the Knicks, right? Like I said earlier, I think in Game Two they were way too reactive uh, defensively, um, and so maybe that's how they go about it: is just beating them to the spot, you know, and, and not letting Taj get that angle that he wants to get to, to deliver all that he is. So that's that's probably where where the opportunity is for them to to fight back a little bit in, in that
0: part of the game. The Derek, you know, the reason it works is just Derek Rose is still really good, really good. So it's so impressive, like just man, it's like he's he's such an elegant finisher for somebody who's playing below the rim.
1: Oh. It's I can't remember another player who, you know, lost so much of their, you know jumping and speed and stop and start and now it's just like all precision it's it's like he's almost like robotic and how precise he is he he's kind of like how i think of Kawhi that way Kawhi is just precise with everything he does it's super impressive that he's kind of remade himself into being uh you know he's not an mvp obviously kind of like he was in you know in chicago when he was younger but he's still a guy that a, a playoff team can ride, you know, for like almost the whole game and get enough offense to be competitive. You know, we all know like the Knicks are not ever going to, this form of the Knicks is not going to be an offensive juggernaut, but they seem fully confident in riding Rose. And I, and I get why, I don't have any questions about whether he can give them what they need, but to your point, it's, it's incredibly impressive. What, what he's able to do at this point, not a lot of guys can, repackaged themselves so to speak after losing all the physical gifts that he had when he first came to the league but you know credit to him for that
0: is there something they could do to just disrupt the rhythm because it just seems like when he's playing in these two-man actions that it's just a little too easy is there is there some kind of trap or ball pressure or you know way to kind of bring in an extra defender from somewhere unexpected where you make him a passer and he's, he's not as proficient as a passer because certainly you know right now, with the ball in his hands moving towards the basket, he just looks like he's completely in his wheelhouse
1: yeah he he it seems like he gets his angle like ten times out of ten you know and and it's almost you know irrespective of who his defender is he just he knows how to manage angles to me i i this is a little bit of a repetitive answer from earlier, but I want to see the hawks defense force him to take a step or two back from where you know, before he attacks, he has to give a little ground, you know, get him that much further from the basket, change the angle, you know, just by changing the space, moving he, he and Randall a step away from where they've been executing and like I said, creating that different angle and all that. So, I mean, to me, it's about just having playing with some force and in taking some of that away. Um You know, the, the way that I watched the game too, it felt like I was watching like a defensive back in the NFL who can't touch the receiver, just react and try to mirror what, you know, the receiver is doing and such. And that's not how, that's not what the NBA game is. <laughs> Obviously as touch is well-demonstrated contact is allowed and, you know, physical uh, play is allowed and all that sort of stuff. So even though they're not built for that, like, like we said, there are ways to um, take space away, take angles away by being proactive and playing with urgency and just, just making that a priority. You know, I I, I can kind of see how they maybe almost accidentally landed there in game two because in game one, their priority was to take away the paint and it worked really well for them. They executed it really well. Um, and then the, when the Knicks went to that, you know, Randall Rose pick and roll, the left three-point break, you know, coming out of the half especially, um, you know, that really made the Hawks' commitment to the paint almost, not fully, but kind of almost irrelevant because they're like, well, we're not going to try to just – you know, ram the ball into the the paint anymore. We're going to use this angle from the left three-point break to kind of create Rose space for Randall to get a dribble and forward movement like he likes, you know, and to get Rose the angle that he likes as a right-hander coming off the left three-point break, coming into the paint is the perfect kind of angle there. So to me, it all comes down to when I see them set up, especially for that specific action, can they force them to give ground? Can they change the angle? Can they beat them to that spot and take space away from them? That's what I'm looking for because that's the thing that drove me really crazy watching the second half of um, game two. They got to be stronger there for me to me to feel like they are pushing back and they are trying to in their own way, match the physicality and to, you know, dominate, you know, what they're going to allow happen versus not allow happen. that's what that looks like with
0: this team to me. Anything else you want to hit on before we wrap up?
1: I don't think so. Uh, You know, it, I think it's I think it's a fun series you know uh, fans are uh, understandably as fans do getting wrapped up around what the Knicks fans were doing at Madison Square Garden that's all you know kind of immaterial to me I'm looking forward to some
0: <laughs> I understand you you've got to help me man I got you know as somebody who's trying to do the media availabilities like 75 percent of the questions are either been <laughs> F you or spitting and I just I can't like no guess what F you chant Bad spitting, bad there. We've covered it. Let's talk about something else,
1: right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know how you do. Uh, welcome to play a basketball, I guess, where you know, I, I, I I'm i'm not of no use there, but you know, hopefully, as the series goes on, it comes more about what's going on on the court, you know. Uh, I. You know, going if we want to talk a second about how Trey dealt with that, I thought Trey dealt with it wonderfully. He was so I mean, better that's, than both that's games.
0: still the big thing to me. It's just like, you know, what does Trey look like in the playoffs? Trey looks great in the playoffs. So it like, looks awesome in the playoffs. Yeah, I he's mean, been, the, he's been fantastic. That's that's the big picture. Like again, like you know, this was the rationale I used for like, you know, why is it okay to play a with five minutes? Because the Hawks aren't going to win the championship this year. They're just <laughs> not. Okay, so if you're not going to win the title, you know, playing the rookie, he's going to help you in a couple of years. Not the worst thing. And, you know, again, same logic. Like if the Hawks aren't going to win the championship this year, what are you looking for? You're looking for Trae Young to look like a playoff star. He looks like a playoff star. It's good.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's even a more stark um, kind of. Um, Thing to visualize when you watch the Bucks try to create when Middleton's off, even when Giannis and Drew are on, they just don't have enough creation. Devin Shinzo's not good enough in that role. And I look at the Bucks, and I'm like, you know, they're going to have to shoot like crazy good from the perimeter for like two series to have a shot to really contend for a title. And you watch even the Lakers, not enough creation. The Hawks have their creation, offensive creation foundation in their singular star, Trey Young. That is. This is their first year in the playoffs. That is like 90% of what matters here. The pieces around Trey Young three years from now are going to be quite different than they are right now. But the Hawks, you know, apart from some really unexpected storyline, Trey's going to be in Atlanta. He's going to be their foundational piece. And he's been awesome in two games. And I think you hit the nail on the head. That's what really matters most right now. And, and when you mix in kind of all of the stuff he's dealt with at Madison Square Garden, it just, I think just jumps out to me more that he's got this, he's got it. And that's really what matters most right now. So, you know, if, if Hawks fans can, you know, not be so tense and just enjoy watching him kind of find his footing as a star on the stage, almost regardless of how this series, you know, turns out in terms of who wins, that's what matters is that Trey is stepping up, doing his thing, doing it in some ways even better than he did in any regular season in the last three years and that is fantastic news for the franchise. So that's, I'm right there with you. That's the biggest deal.
0: All right. We can end positively. Awesome. Thanks for joining me, Glenn. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.